Open up your Bibles to John chapter 3. And while you're turning there to John chapter 3, what did we talk about last week? Last week we talked about the way that that you worship is how much you value your relationship with Him. The way you worship God is how much value you place in that relationship with Him. It's a deal or no deal kind of a thing. It's, it's one of those kind of situations. The way that you worship him, I'm not saying you got to scream, you got to shout, you got to run over chairs and all this other kind of stuff. I'm just saying the way that you worship him, how do you, do you worship him? Like the Lord spoke this morning. Do you worship him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Do you live your life just for him or is it on a Sunday morning kind of a thing? You know, you either accept all of the Lord's terms and conditions or you accept none of it. You can't only accept the parts that you like. You can't go through there you know, with a sharpie and just cross out the stuff you don't like. That's what cults do. The way that you worship him is the way that you value your relationship with him. All right? Does that make sense? The way that you worship him is the way that you value him. Just like any kind of relationship that you're in. If you spend time, you know that when you started maybe dating your spouse or or, uh, you, know, if you, you know, with your best friend, you know you had to put time into that. Maybe you spent hours upon hours on the phone talking to that person that you're hoping was going to be, you know, that you're hoping was going to be your spouse. And, or your best friend, you know, you talked to them for hours upon. It's the way that you, you want to know them, right? It's the same way with God. As I said, in John, uh, we're going to be in John chapter 3. We're going to start at verse 1. Tim, if you could play that. Chapter 3. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, And thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we ask that, that your word would fall upon the good soil this morning. God, that as we, we hear your word, that we would, 
apply it to our lives and we would put it into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's look at verse 1. Verse 1 says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. If we look at John chapter 7, verse 50, it also talks about Nicodemus as well. Nicodemus, uh, this verse says, Nicodemus said unto them that he came to Jesus by night, being one of them. Nicodemus is all throughout the Gospel of John. In, uh, in John chapter 19, verse 39, it says this. It says, And there came also Nicodemus at, at the first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes about a hundred pound weight. Well, what they want you to see uh, in here is the fact that this, it wasn't just a one-time event that he comes up to him and has this one-on-one conversation with Jesus. He's, he's a person, he's a person of the Pharisees, he's a ruler of the Jews. He's the, he's the one that's going around and he's asking Jesus. They, he knows who Jesus is. He, he knows that this is probably the Messiah by the miracles that they're seeing. He's always been friendly with Jesus. He's always been friendly with the Savior. And in these two instances that we see, uh, apart from chapter uh, 3, we see that, for one thing, he was defending Jesus because of the unjust suspicion that the other rulers and Pharisees had. And also, in, in chapter 19, verse 39, he is, he is there as well, helping embalm the body of Jesus when he dies upon the cross. Remember, the design of John in writing the gospel was to show that Jesus was the Messiah. Everything that John is going to do is that so you would believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's writing this, and you go, well, duh, isn't that all the gospels? He makes it explicitly clear that that's the whole purpose of him writing this gospel, is that you will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he is the Savior and Lord that can deliver you from sin. Nicodemus has, uh, has come, to him, uh, come to him early because he's convinced that the fact that he is the Messiah. And he retains this belief all the way until the death of Jesus. All throughout the Gospel of John, you will see Nicodemus pop up throughout this. Here's one of the things that maybe I, I didn't know, but maybe you know. Nicodemus was also, he was reputed as as being so rich that he could support all the inhabitants of Jerusalem for about 10 years. That he was so rich that he could actually support all the people in Jerusalem for about 10 years. That's how much money he had. I just want to let you know that, that when they, they say this, that there was also probably a little exaggeration when they were talking about this. But he was a rich man. He was a very rich man. So for people that say, well, rich people can't you know, come to know Jesus, that's a lie because Nicodemus is a very, very rich man. I don't know about you. I can barely, so, you know, I, I take care of my family, let alone I cannot take care of all of Crawlersville. I can't do it. Can you? Do you know somebody in Crawlersville that can? I don't even know if, you know, I know there's, there's probably some people, that, you know, some people that are wealthy in Crawlersville, but maybe not, not for the, at least not for the next 10 years. Verse 2 says, The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no man can do these miracles that you do except God be with him. He was convinced that Jesus is the Messiah, but here's the thing. is that What does it say? He said he came by night. 
He wants a, a private time with him. You know, maybe it's the fact that he doesn't, he wanted to talk to him one-on-one. He didn't want the crowds around. That could be a possibility of the reason why he meets with him by night. It also could be a possibility that he's afraid that if the other Pharisees see him with him, that they'll try and kill him or persecute him or something else. And so he wants to be able to ask him these questions without maybe that possibility. But the thing is, is that Albert Barnes said it this way. He says, it was, not un- it was not usual for a man of rank, power, and riches to come to inquire of Jesus in this manner. It would have been more fa- uh, most favorable of an opportunity for such, uh, for such men of, of this nature, a personal uh, religion when they are alone. Some people you will talk to, you will meet, and it's better for you to talk to them one-on-one than it is for them to get them in church. Some people will never come uh, through the church doors. Maybe they had a long time ago, and they were turned off to it. You may be the only one that could talk to them one-on-one about Jesus. And, the door, and that door may, may open. That's a, one of the reasons why we always need to be ready to give an answer for the reason why we believe. Because you don't know when that phone call is going to come. They may call you up 2 o'clock in the morning while you're sleeping and say, you know what, I, I, I just don't understand this whole, why do you, why do you love Jesus? Are you going to begin to tell them about Jesus or are you going to say, you know what, call me in the morning? Some may say, I'll, you know, I'll call you in the morning, but the thing is, you may miss your opportunity to share Christ with them because the Spirit is working on them now. Because you know, you got to think of on the other side of it, and depending on the person you're talking to, because sometimes people just want to call people just because. But the Spirit may be working upon them at that moment, and if you say, I'll call you back in the morning, they may say, you know what, never mind, it doesn't matter. But you have to have those opportunities in those moments because a lot of times people may talk to you late at night or at night may uh, come talk to you because of the fact that they, they want to inquire, they want to find out, but they just don't want all the people around them. Not saying that every single time that a person is going to come to know Christ is going to be one-on-one, but make sure that you have that spiritual antenna up to realize that God may be working on somebody when they call you up late at night. Or they may meet you at Walmart and it may you know, take you a little bit longer to get your groceries you may have to go put your frozen food back in the frozen food section until the Lord's done moving, right? Because you don't want to get up to the line and your, and your ice cream is soup, okay? But here's the thing. We, must, we should not be disposed to blame people where Jesus did not. And we should desire to find goodness in every man rather than be ever on the search for evil motives. That was Albert Barnes. And I, I, th- I thought that quote to be very, very telling because it's nowadays, especially with uh, the way your news, media, and all that kind of stuff, everything going on around her, everybody wants to find out what the motive is, what the motive is, what the motive is. And sometimes people come to you, and you may be thinking, what's their motive? But the thing is, is that in this, in this case, when somebody comes to talk to you about Jesus, tell them, you, their motive may be evil. Tell them anyways. Because you don't know in you sharing the gospel with somebody, their motive may go from evil to pure. They may want to inquire more. They all of a sudden could come to know Christ. 
How many times have you read stories of different missionaries going where, where the person that they were talking to about Jesus and that other person said, you know what, I was going to come here and I was actually going to come kill you. Evil motive. They said, but you began to talk to me about Jesus and something changed. God can change a thing, uh, every situation in a moment. I want you also to realize that in this same verse, what does it say? It says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God. He's the middleman. Nicodemus is the middleman. He says, we know that you're, uh, that you're a teacher from God. He says, we know it. He's the middleman. Other ones want to know as well, but I would just say that they're chicken. Or maybe they, they feel if, if, if they come, all the other ones come with Nicodemus at the same time, maybe Jesus is not as open with them. You know, maybe they figure, oh, well, we, we need to send one person, so it's a one-on-one kind of situation, and so that way Jesus will, will talk to, to a person one-on-one. You know, they'll probably, he'll probably think something is up. But Jesus, we, we already know uh, by the Spirit, is able to discern whether their motives are pure or not. The miracles that they're talking about in this verse are the ones that we talked about in, in John chapter 1 and 2 where it happened in the temple and at Jerusalem. All right? So we look at this. The thing is, is that this is not only Nicodemus's opinion or inquiry. It is also those of others. It's not just Nicodemus by himself. Verse 3, John answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto, uh, unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verily, verily, basically is a repetition of amen. Amen means so be it. So he's saying, so be it, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We need to realize this because the thing is, is that when we talk to people, how many of you ever had a conversation and you talk to a person and they don't get it? They don't understand it. They're going, I, I, it's like you're speaking Greek to them, right? Or you're speaking a foreign language to them. And they have no idea. Well, the thing is, is what is he saying? He says, except a person, except a man be born again, except a person be born again, they cannot see the kingdom. They're not going to be able to discern spiritual things. They've got to be born again. They have the spirit moving upon them in order to do that. John Wesley said this, Knowledge will not avail you unless you are born again. You can have all the Bible knowledge you want. It's not going to help you out, all right? Unless you're born again. Otherwise, you cannot see, that is, experience and joy, either the inward or the glorious kingdom of God. What is he uh, he's saying? You can speak to a person all about the great things of God, but until they experience it, until they go through it, they're not going to understand it. Until they, they come to God and they seek Him like, Nicodemus is. Until they come to him wanting to know you must be born again, they are not going to understand it. They won't. And here's the thing, is that Nicodemus in this thing may be feeling entitled. Do you know why he may be feeling entitled? It's because of the fact that he's a Jew. He feels like he's entitled. We don't have that nowadays, do we? Anybody feeling entitled? He could feel like he's entitled because of, of the blessings of the Messiah's kingdom. But here's the thing. It, has, it takes an entire change of heart as well as a life serving God that can change a person. He doesn't understand this. 
But to be born again is a completely different experience than a person that just knows about Jesus. It's a completely different experience. James chapter 1, verse 17 says this, Every good and perfect gift is from above. Born again is from above. And comes down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variable, neither shadow of turning. We know that when we come into the light, there is no shadow, right? There's no darkness. Here's the thing. When you, if you're a believer in the, in the Lord, when the Lord worked upon your heart and you are born again, didn't things, weren't things different? Didn't things change? If they didn't, you're not changed. If nothing changed in your life after you gave your life to Jesus Christ, that means you're not born again. If you did not change at all, there's nothing in you that has changed. You say, well, pastor, now I go to church. That does not matter. Well, pastor, I'm a member of the church. That does not matter. Well, pastor, I was a deacon at one time. That does not matter. Well, pastor, I was a pastor. That does not matter. Well, don't you know who I am? That doesn't matter. You must be born again. No matter what. You must be born again. Adam Clark put it this way. He said, every man must have two births, one from heaven and the other one from earth. One has a bo- uh, one of his body and the other of his soul. Without the first, he cannot see nor enjoy this world. Without the last, he cannot see or enjoy the kingdom of God. How can we even begin to comprehend the excellencies and glories of Jesus Christ if you're not born again. You can't. You can't enjoy Jesus. This is why people make fun of him. They can't enjoy him. They don't see the purpose. They're like, oh, he's a crutch. He's all these things. If you're not born again, you won't understand him. You won't. The new birth. The new birth, being born again, being born from above. The new birth, which is here spoken, is not only what is termed justification or a pardon, but also, but also sanctification or holiness. Sin must be pardoned. If anybody has any kind of idea as far as law works, if you committed a crime, you're going to jail, right? You're going to be punished for that crime. But what happens when you're pardoned? You don't, you're set free. Okay? Sin must be pardoned. That's a life sentence. But it must be pardoned. And the impurity of the heart, the impurity of the heart washed away before any soul can possibly enter into the kingdom of God. As this new birth implies the renewing of the whole soul in righteousness and and, and true holiness. It is not a matter that you may be dispensed with. Heaven is a place of holiness, and nothing but what is like itself can ever enter in. What is he saying? Basically, without Jesus, you can't get into heaven. If you're not born again, you cannot get into heaven. And here's the thing. Most people want to get into heaven. Everybody does. But how many people want to actually know Jesus? I don't know about you. Yes, I, if somebody says, do you want to go to heaven? Yeah, I want to go to heaven. 
but I want to meet my Jesus, more importantly. I want Jesus more importantly than, you know, than just getting a mansion or being on you know, streets of gold. I want to be with my Jesus. I don't know about you. I don't know about you, but I, I don't want to go there just so I can get out of hell free. I want Jesus. I think oftentimes most people you know, look at it as a get out of hell free card when the thing is, is that what Jesus wants is for you to spend eternity with your creator, him. We heard it this morning that God loves us. Why? Because he created us. Verses, six, uh, verses 4 through 6. Nicodemus uh, said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter uh, the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except that a person be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. The reason why he brings up the fact of water or baptism is because the Jews at this time believed in baptizing people. They did. You know the reason why they believed in baptizing people? And it has nothing to do with John the Baptist. Because they looked at it as, if you didn't believe the Jewish, uh, the Jewish faith, you were a pagan, you were outside, and in order to be brought into the Jewish community, you had to be baptized. So it had nothing to do with them going to heaven. It's just the, the fact that they wanted the benefits of being, a, uh, you know, quote-unquote, God's uh, people. So like you and I, if you're not Jewish, you would not be able to get into Judaism. You wouldn't be able to go in there. You have to be baptized in order to do it. That's why he's talking about being born of, uh, you know, born of water and of the Spirit. And here's the thing. The Jewish people looked at themselves as being God's chosen people. Because they were born Jewish, and if you weren't born Jewish, you're on the outside looking in. Here's the, he's also he's wondering whether or not he can be born again or saved because he's older in age. Because look at this thing. He says, can I be put back in my mother's womb and be born again? He's very confused. He's very confused at this moment, as you know, some of you may uh, be this morning. He's, he's very confused, even though Jesus has made it plain and simple to him. He's telling him how to get saved. Just, and here's the thing. Just because we or someone doesn't understand the Bible or doesn't understand what Jesus is saying does not mean it's, it's false. It doesn't mean it's false just because you don't understand it. There's a lot of people out there, a lot of different churches, in quotes, that say, well, I don't understand this, and so they throw it out. Just because you don't understand it doesn't mean it's not true. Just because you don't understand it doesn't mean that it's false. Verse 7. Marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. Here's the thing, and I already alluded to it. That baptismal water, that baptismal that's behind there, behind the cross, behind the thing, just because you get baptized does not mean that you're saved. There are some churches that will teach that and will say that you're not saved until you get baptized. That's not true. By the way, a little side note, if anybody who does want to get baptized that believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, come talk to me. We can baptize you. That's, that's great. 
Uh, baptismal water will not save you. Church attendance won't save you. Being a good person won't save you. Being a church member won't save you. Be, even being a deacon or a pastor won't save you. Only the blood of Jesus Christ will save you. The pardon of our sins through the perfect atonement by the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world, you must receive Him. You must be born again. That is the only way. That is the only way. Verse 8. The wind blows where it lists, and you hear the sound thereof. But you cannot tell where it comes and where uh, where it goes. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. What is he saying? Because if you read that one right there, there's a, you know, a lot of THs at the end. And if you have a lot of, it almost sounds like you have a lisp as you go through there. But what is he saying? Just like the wind is incomprehensible to us. You say, well, the wind's not incomprehensible. Yes, it is. Think about it. We don't know where it comes from. You say, oh, yeah, I know it came from the east. No, do you know literally where it comes from? You don't know where it comes from or where it goes or where it's going, but you can hear it and you can feel it. And you know that it's there. But yet, you have no idea where it came from or where it's going. Do you? You say, well, if I was a meteorologist, they don't even know where it comes from. How would it, You want to ask a meteorologist... <laughs> They're the only people I know that can be wrong more than, more than they're right and still have a job. All right. It's a side note. That's the same way that it is being born of the Spirit or being born again. Being born again is incomprehensible. One moment you were in darkness, and the next you're believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you begin to see things differently and feel lighter. Because why? Because he took your burdens. Because you are now in the light and no longer in darkness. You are in Jesus Christ. I didn't understand it 20-some years ago when I got saved. I didn't understand it. I just knew that I needed him. I went down to the altar, kneeled before him, and began to cry out to him. I didn't know what to do. I had no idea. I had never been to an altar other than the fact of going up and receiving communion at a church. I didn't know what that meant. But I had heard the pastor many, many times make that comment and said, Come to the altar. Make an altar. Cry out to him. And I'll tell you this, after I got it from that altar, everything was different. I didn't know why. I was like, man, this is amazing. I don't, I don't know what, understand. I didn't quite understand what, what happened. I just knew that things were different, that God had done something miraculous to me. I all of a sudden knew that God was real. And the reason why I say that is because before this, I was either, I say either because I, I flip-flop back and forth. I was either an atheist or agnostic. If you don't know what those words mean, atheist means I didn't believe in God at all. Or agnostic, I believe that there was a God, but I didn't know who they were. It was kind of like in those moments of going, oh, yeah, well, it has to be God. And the reason why I was agnostic was because I wanted to blame it on somebody, and I couldn't blame it on myself. So I wanted to blame it on God or whatever God was out there. That didn't help me out. But like I said, I, I, I rose up out of that altar, and I knew my life was different. I knew I, I, I loved Jesus with everything I had. You say, well, that's impossible. You just knew him. Tell me about it. Tell me about it. 
How is it that I kneel down there, cry out to God, and all the wickedness, all the hatred, all the other stuff that I had towards God, and I said, God, forgive me, please, and I repented of what I did, and all of a sudden, I felt love for the first time in my life. How could I feel that? How is that comfort? I don't know, but I just know that that's what God did in my life. I know it beyond a shadow of a doubt. He takes those burdens. He takes those burdens, verses 9 through 15. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, how can, the, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, You are a master of Israel, and you know not these things. Verily, verily, I say unto you, we speak that, uh, that we do know and testify that we have seen and received, and you receive not our witness. What is he saying? He said, I'm testifying about what I've seen and heard. In a car, uh, any kind of crime or anything else, they always want witnesses, right? And they were coming out and saying, I seen it and I heard it. Verse 12, if I, have, if I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up into heaven, but he that came down from heaven. Who is he speaking of? Himself. He's the one who came down from heaven in the form of a baby. And is getting ready uh, and is, is coming to deliver us from sin. Even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. Verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even, uh, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. What is he talking about? He's talking about how he's going to die upon that cross. Verse 15. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish or should not perish, but have everlasting life. Does that not make anybody else more excited that says whoever, that whosoever? Are you a whosoever? Do you know what a whosoever is? Anybody in this room, that's a whosoever. So anybody in this room that believes on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation can and will be saved and will not perish. Perish means that you would have went to hell, but you're not going to now. All right? Let's look at this. Huh? It is good news. And here's the thing. Nicodemus still at this point is still not quite understanding all this. He's still not understanding because this is a mind-blowing concept for him. He's always been taught that if you're born Jewish, then you go to heaven. Some people in this room, in this place, you know, say, well, I'm a good person, so I'm going to go to heaven. Or you know what? I'm American, so I go to heaven. Or just because I haven't killed anybody, I'm going to heaven. You may believe that you are a good person, a nice person, or I'm not as, as bad as the, the other person, or I haven't killed anyone or I'm not Hitler, or I'm not Saddam Hussein, or I'm not Osama bin Laden, or Jesus will understand my upbringing, I've had a really bad past. So he won't hold that against me. Some of us have that mindset. Well, how would God send me to, how would God send me to hell if he, if, if he would just understand where I came from? And here's the thing is because we... We come, uh, we come up 
with excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse of why we shouldn't accept Jesus Christ. When he's made it as easy as possible. He said, well, well, pastor, I also, I, I grew up in this church. I'm a member. I attend most Sundays when I can. I'm a deacon. I'm a pastor. Stop making or trying to make yourself feel better about yourself. He doesn't want to hear your excuses. He doesn't want to hear about your titles. He doesn't, want to, he doesn't care who you think that you are. He wants you, not your excuses. He wants you. Why? Why does he want you? He created you. He loves you. He designed you. He wants to have a relationship with you. Do you understand that? That the God of all of creation loves you, created you, and not only that, he wants to have a relationship with you. Tell me of another false religion or another religion out there that even wants that. They don't. All the heads of those things. Okay, you look at Islam. Allah doesn't want a relationship with you. He doesn't. What does he want you? Uh, what does he want you? Well, if you do so many good things, which this is the, the, the turn on to it, most, and I'll get to the part where the men like, the, you know, the other part in Islam. The part is that if you do so many good things, hopefully as, as you're dying, as you die, and you're dropping towards hell, hopefully all the good stuff that you did outweighs the bad stuff. And at the last minute, right before you hit the hellfire, God will just pick you up and just bring you up into heaven. So you get a little terrified as you go down. You have no idea. Muslims can't even say that they're assured of, of heaven because they don't know if their good stuff has outweighed their bad stuff. And here's the part that men like, oh, I get my bevy of 70 spotless virgins. I don't know what in Islam is actually makes it appealing for women. I have no idea because women get the raw deal in the entire religion. I'll just tell you right now. They do. Or you have the Hindus that basically just believe that you just come back as something else. I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't, I know, for one thing I know, but if you want to come back as a gnat, if you come back as a mosquito, I'm swatting you this summer. I'm telling you right now. And then they worship like cows and whatever, and you can't even get a cheeseburger. Because you might be eating a god or something. I don't know. All of these other, one, all of these other false, you know, false religions, it's all about the fact that you have to do so much good in order to get there. Jesus Christ says that whoever believes upon him should not perish but have everlasting life. And we have the hardest time with it. We'd rather do all these other false you know, religions. We'd rather go meditate and do yoga and do all these other weird things out there. We'd rather you know, sit there with our legs crossed and doing all these weird whatever, but we, won't want, we don't want to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't understand it. When, God, when he says, when you do that, all things become new. Your mind becomes new. Everything about you becomes new. The way that you look at things becomes new. No, I don't want that. I'd rather go over there and think I'm going to become you know, a bumblebee. Or I'd rather go over there where I don't really have assurance at all that I'm going to be saved, but maybe I might get 70 virgins. If you don't know what the word virgin means, it's basically a, a, a woman that hasn't had sex yet. 
to make it clear. And I'm telling you, every single religion apart from Christianity, every single one of its founders is burning right now in hellfire and brimstone. Because there are all these other false religions. How do you know? I do know. For one thing, if you want to look at my life and my testimony, I'm not the same person that I once was. We said that was religion. No, it wasn't. It was a God who said, I want to change you and make you brand new, and I want you to do things. You wouldn't want, I can guarantee most of you would not, wouldn't want to have known me before I was saved. Nicodemus is one of the most influential religious people of his time, and Jesus doesn't doesn't pull any punches, and he tells him, you must be born again. He doesn't pull any punches. He just says, you must be born again. He doesn't care about money, finances, or anything. He says, you must be born again. Because to him, your soul is more important than all this stuff that we think that is worth something. Your life is more important to him than your job, than anything else that you have. Boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. He cares more about that. So what does is, what is being born again or a new birth look like? look like? It is death to sin. It is death to the things that God says no to. And the reason why they're bad, because some people say, well, no, they feel so good, is because it destroys. Sin always destroys. Always. It is death to sin and the new birth unto righteousness or being right before God that through the Holy Spirit or the agency of the Holy Spirit or through the Holy Spirit speaking to you, sin is destroyed, and then now all of a sudden our soul is filled with holiness. That now we are actually back to where we're supposed to be with God, that God brings us back into a relationship with him. Look at verse 14. What does it say? It says in verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, even, uh, even so must the man the Son of Man, which he's speaking of himself, be lifted up. This is how we are pardoned and set free from sin. If we would believe, trust, and put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, by him being lifted up upon that cross, by this he provided the only way for reconciliation and forgiveness to take place upon the cross. That we are made right in, in God. That if we actually believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, we would be what? Saved. We would be saved. Verse 15. I'm going to read this again. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have what? Eternal life. How long is eternity? I don't know. It's a long time. Forever and ever. I mean, we can't comprehend it. This is like plain and simple. This should be the end of the conversation, and we're going to pick up the rest of the conversation next week. But this should be the mic drop to the entire thing. This should be the end of it. It says that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have eternal life. That should be the end, plain and simple. He's saying believing in, and here's the thing, believing in someone changes everything about you. And everything in you, belief in the only true God, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, will change you forever. And the thing is, is that we will have eternal life. And the reason why, there's that word in there. It says that whosoever believeth, that right there is a present active participle. Can anybody explain that to me? 
I will. I'll explain it to you. All right. Because I didn't necessarily realize it until now. It is an action that is currently taking place or which takes place repeatedly. What does that mean? You are constantly believing upon the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter whether or not that you've given your life to Jesus Christ when you're a child or you're baptized in water or anything else, or even if you, you know, a couple of months ago gave your life, it is a continual belief in Jesus Christ that I will not perish because I have Jesus Christ, that I'll have eternal life because of Jesus Christ, that I'm continually trusting and believing and following and turning away from the sin that is presented to me every single day and saying, I'm trusting in him. That is what being born again is. And the thing is, the promise, the amazing promise is that we have eternal life with Jesus Christ. It's plain and simple that whosoever, who is the whosoever? You. Whoever is in this room, whosoever hears this message, that you can be saved by what? Believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and you won't be in the hellfire, but you'll have eternal life. 